Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hi, everyone. I'm Carol. And I'm David. Are you ready to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and of course, always horny? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the sexy lifestyle is all about. David and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. We sure are, and you know that we love talking about sex and sexuality, sexual pleasure, communication, consent, respect, and of course, those amazing relationships, and hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex because... Well, great sex matters, and we all deserve it. So, does your sex life need a boost? Are you looking for support to help you work through those blocks, challenges, and curiosities, but you don't know exactly where to turn for help? Well, today, we're going to be talking about all sorts of different matters of sexuality that affect our sex life and where to find help in a safe and supportive environment to break through and discover the great sex life that we all deserve. But before we get into our show, let's invite everyone to join us at Nadia Norlean's July 24th to 28th, 2019. Nadia Norlean's is the largest lifestyle convention for couples in the world. With over 1,300 couples, this event is not only a full takeover of two of the French Quarter's biggest hotels, but we take over Bourbon Street as well. So go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com, to the travel and events page to book your room now. Yeah, do it now. All right, this is The Sexy Lifestyle. You know we are Carol and David, and we are so excited to introduce our amazing guest today. Anne Hottership is a sex educator, coach, and healer with a whole slew of certifications in the realm of human sexuality as well. Anne is a sex-positive PR guru in the alternative health and wellness sector. Whether you're selling pleasure products or cannabis products, Anne Hotter Media knows how to handle the marketing plan for you. All right, so we've given ourselves a lot of time because Anne has a whole bunch of amazing stuff to talk about. I know she's on the line, and welcome to The Sexy Lifestyle. Hi, thanks for having me. We are so happy to start this conversation because I can't wait to dive deep into it. But before we do, why don't you start by sharing your backstory, your background, and how you got to be where you are today? Sure. Well, I was always a sexually curious kid, um, and there was no internet growing up. That's you know how old I am. So I was very much into reading any book I could. Uh, to just understand what was going on, um, because for me, knowledge is was empowering and made me feel safe if I could understand things, because um, nobody else was really, that I remember at least, talking to me about it. So books were my friend, and uh, when I went to college for journalism, um, I always thought it would be fun and cool to sort of combine journalism with sociology, which was a minor, um, where we could sort of explore uh, why people are the way they are, um, but from a journalistic research perspective. And so I did my best to do that. And when I graduated, I was a journalist in the adult industry for a few years. And while I was doing that, I became really aware of sex toy manufacturing. And I covered a lot of the business behind it, which is a lot less sexy than it sounds. Uh, And when I left the magazine, a lot of the sex toy companies started asking me to help them promote their products, write descriptions, and, and help them really create stories behind the stuff they were making. 
So that was 10 years ago, actually, this year. Um, and that's when Hotter Media was formed to work with companies that make important products that maybe traditional PR firms either wouldn't touch or just didn't really understand. So now I'm very much in the CBD and cannabis realm, uh, alternative healing, alternative beauty, and my roots will always be supporting sex toy manufacturers and distributors to get their message out to the mainstream and make sure that there's no unfortunate telephone game going on or that, you know, overused tropes aren't used in any PR campaigns. Um, and part of, you know, during the PR, you know, development of the PR company, um, I also had been tapped by LA Weekly to be the, an editor for a sex news website and so I sort of accidentally became a sex blogger for a while, which then got me interviewed by a bunch of people, and people were just, would send me sex questions. And while I, I knew a lot about human sexuality as a result of my, my studies and my work as a journalist in the sex industry, I knew that there was more I could learn, at least even about how to provide information in a useful way. So that's when I started getting certified to teach sex ed specifically. And that was about five years ago. And um, <clears throat> so now, you know, part of my time is PR and marketing. And then part of my time is working with clients either one-on-one -on -one for uh, coaching or education, or I do workshops and groups dedicated to helping people better understand their own sexuality and what that even means and, uh, and how to then introduce, you know, some new knowledge into their personal and sexual relationships all with the purposes of, of course, feeling better and happier and less shame and um, a little bit more safety. Beautiful. So, you know, later on in the show, we're going to get into talking about cocks and pussies and vulvas and orgasms and all that other stuff. And we just spoke about your media stuff. But you also have this passion project, which is Everyone Deserves Sex Ed. Let's, let's chat a little bit about that and, and why that's so important to you. Sure. So that's sort of like the educational arm of um, Hotter Media where I am uh, focused specifically on, among other things, um, bringing sex-positive education about consent and gender and uh, sexual harassment and all kinds of important sexuality-related things into corporate workspaces, into school events, um, working with parents and kids to help make the talk feel a little bit less terrifying, um, and to really support parents and caregivers um, have complicated conversations or and you know prepare for the inevitable uncomfortable questions that their kids are going to have because that's just how kids work and what, and, and what are some of those questions that you deal with that are brought up that parents are a little queasy about talking about with their kids or their kids are asking them questions like what, what's some of that little coaching that you do well I mean it's, it really runs the gamut I mean the most common uh, questions have to do with either hey I've heard Someone talked about sex or penises. What is that? What is sex? Or the you know the classic "Where do babies come from?" question. Um, and I trying to help parents navigate like how much information is too much and what's the appropriate way to reply. And then there are some more specific questions about um, like anatomy, for instance. I work with some parents and caregivers who are vulva owners, for instance, and they've never actually seen a penis in person, and then they had a baby and their baby was born with a penis and they're kind of just like, all right, never thought this would be where I met, but now I want to 
feel as confident and empowered as possible, not only to care for this penis owner, but also be ready to talk about penises uh, when that subject matter ends up coming up as the kid grows up. So a lot of support. Well, I got to tell you that even as um, a person who loves penises, when you do have a baby with a penis, you really don't know what to do with it just the same, right? So whether totally. yeah, whether you're a vulva owner or a penis owner, or you've never seen one before in your life, um, when babies are born and you're not really sure what to do, there's lots of questions that come. So sometimes you just have no idea where to turn with those questions. And it's so great that you were there um, providing in your website, everything, everyone deserves success ed. And I, I know one of the other things that we had a question when we were looking at your website um you advocate that you you um you know you want to talk about the lgbtqia community and it just seems to me there's a lot of these letters keep getting bigger and bigger would you just take a moment and explain all of those letters that are in this acronym yeah of course uh lgbtqia lesbian bisexual or lesbian gay bisexual intersex uh, trans, I'm not saying them, of course, in the, prop, in the appropriate order. Um, trans, um, intersex, and asexual. And then the plus is there to acknowledge the existence of other orientations uh, without necessarily turning it into a, a full-blown alphabet. And now just, um, and now just to be clear, uh, intersex is one of the new ones, that the topics that are out there. Can you just explain that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's new in the sense that it was recently added, um, I don't know, within the last few years. But of course, intersex people have existed since the dawn of time. Yeah. Um, intersex is less of a sexual orientation, but more um, representative of uh, someone's genitals. When you know babies are born uh, or developing in utero, uh, genitals are developing as they develop, just like the rest of your body parts. And sometimes um, people can have genitals that look kind of like a penis, but also kind of like there are some maybe labia, or maybe someone is born with what looks like a scrotal sac, but also either a larger clitoris or a smaller penis. And for a long time, and in, in some cultures and in some um, societies right now, there's still this idea that it either needs to be a penis or a vulva, it can't be both. So uh, there have been, um, babies are surgically altered after birth to better look like one or the other genital when really, as what we know about sexuality, what your body parts look like have literally nothing to do with what's really going on with you. It's just like, you know, our ears and noses and feet all grow in different shapes and sizes and so do genitals. So intersex represents anyone who um, has genitals that maybe are a little bit uh, ambiguous or just in between what might look like a penis and testicles or what might look like a clitoris and a vulva and a vagina. Well, thanks very much for that clarification. Not everybody understands all of that. So I thought that was very clear and very precise. Can you tell people where they can find your website? Um, Everyone deserves sex ed. Yeah, really, you just have to type in everyone deserves sex ed into the you know URL and it'll direct you right to it and you'll see pretty clear uh, what the options are. Um, I'm also offering a 25-hour certification as sort of like a an entry-level certification if you want to be a sex educator or if you're currently working in a position where you have conversations about sexual orientation or gender or safe sex, but you're not feeling terribly confident in those conversations. Um, people are also using the certification as a professional development tool. Cool. Wonderful. Cool. All right, let's switch gears for a bit. We'll remind everybody this is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and today we're talking with Anne Hodder Ship. And let's talk about, well, we just had Valentine's Day. Uh, some people 
do know, other people don't know, that March 14th is the opposite of Valentine's Day, which is for men, and it's called Steak and Blowjob Day. Mm-hmm. And um, we just wanted to get your take on, you know, how important is it for men to be appreciated on one day as it is for women? I mean, I think it's a really fun idea. Um, and it's the only thing that I, I don't like about made-up holidays is is just the potential for their feeling like there's an obligation of some kind of sexual activity um because of course even if it's steak and blowjob day but someone's partner is just not in the mood to give said blowjob then that of course still needs to be okay um but i think it was you know it's a fun idea uh definitely you know rooted in sort of the heterosexual idea of what romance holidays are supposed to be um and this idea that you know valentine's day is when men are supposed to go out of the way to woo women therefore there needs to be sort of an opposite day for women to woo men. Um, and so in, you know, couplings where there is uh, a penis involved, then I think having a day like steak and blowjob day can be a fun way to um, make a blowjob feel a little bit more special and <laughs> maybe have a really good dinner at the same time. Yeah, I think that's great. But I was just thinking about for the single men out there, it could be steak and handjob day just the same because, you know, self-love is very important as well. You don't have to have a partner in order to appreciate yourself. Absolutely, yeah. But what if you can suck your own cock? Then you can give yourself a blowjob. Okay, you're not a dog, David. I know. I've tried that a couple of times. You laugh every time I say, look, hun, I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. Yeah, meanwhile, he's two feet away. But yes, okay, in his mind, he would love to be able to suck his own cock. But okay, that's weird. I'm sure. I'm sure. I think every guy does, right? On we go. All right, maybe we'll take a quick break here and just remind everyone that we were talking to sex, sex educator, coach, and healer, Anne Hottership, about sex education. And when we come back, we're going to be getting into talking about dream work, especially when it comes to dreams about sex. Mm. This is A Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David, and we'll be right back. Maximize your orgasms and just let go. The Throes of Passion Waterproof Pleasure Blanket guarantees to keep your sheets dry, no matter how wet it gets. From massage oils to lubes and beyond, we've got your bed covered. So just throw it down and get it on and get lost in your very own Throes of Passion. Then toss it aside and bask in the afterglow of great sex in warm, dry sheets. The all-new Naked Fleece provides a soft and sexy playscape, while the Stay Dry Barrier protects your bed, your couch, and even your carpet. It's machine washable, large enough to cover a king-size bed, and light enough to travel discreetly. To get your own Throes of Passion waterproof pleasure blanket, visit thesexylifestyle.com and order yours today. That's thesexylifestyle.com. Great sex starts now. are listening to The Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Got a burning question or comment about today's show? Send an email to ask at carolanddavid.com and we just might be answering your question next. Now back to this week's show. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David and today we're having an amazing discussion with sex educator, coach and healer and hotter ship. And now we're going to get into the We'll call it the down and dirty with Anne and talk all about dreams about sex and what they mean. So I know on your website, you talk about dream work. So let's just say, what is dream work and how does that work? 
It's a great question. So there is multiple kinds of dream work. Um, I think the most, the one that people are most familiar with is Jungian dream work. Uh, what I do is something called natural dream work, and it's a talk-based exchange similar to talk therapy, but it's very much focused on people's dreams and the emotions they have during the dream experience. So rather than trying to understand, you know, what does it mean if I dream about a purple elephant? It's more like, well, how did you feel about the purple elephant when you saw it? And what do you feel about elephants in general? What's your relationship to them? And how, and then all of those feelings, we then try to relate them to your waking life. So for instance, if you saw a purple elephant in, in the dream and you were sort of like, yeah, sure, whatever, and then you walk by, I would, among other things, I would ask, you know, that's interesting that you didn't seem, you know, surprised or curious or interested because in waking life, if you walked by a purple elephant, you'd probably be like, what the fuck? Or this is cool and maybe take a photo or I don't know. And so that's sort of a, a sillier, um, more fun example, but it's this idea of, you know, there might be a disconnect then. If in your dream you are not impressed or surprised by something that is relatively unusual, is it possible that anywhere in your waking life you might be responding to surprising events or surprising things in a more numbed out, disconnected manner. So it's a way, um, it's a way to sort of see what are your dreams, how are your dreams and the experiences you're having in your dreams there to help you? And what can you learn from them to try to break patterns or make positive shifts in your waking life? So it's a really lovely supplement or alternative to talk therapy because it works very much with your subconscious and your subconscious is there only to support you and you can't really talk your way around it and you can't argue with it and you can't really, I mean, you can judge it, but judging it won't help you. So um, for those of us with really busy brains who can sort of, you know, talk circles around any type of practitioner, dream work is kind of nice because you, your conscious brain doesn't really, you know, steer the wheel, so to speak. Now, do you have to do this dream work with an expert on dreams like yourself? Or is it something you can do yourself when you wake up in the morning and, and think about, hey, why was I dreaming that or how did I feel? It's a really great question. Um, I always recommend working with someone solely because when we are trying to work through our own dreams, using our conscious mind because we're awake, we are automatically looking through it. Uh, you know, looking at our dreams and thinking about our dreams through our conscious lens. So we are already biased. We are already either judging it or trying to figure it out and trying to explain it. And we are less likely to really get to the root of what that might be applying to, partly because our dreams, among other things, help show us things in our conscious life that we're either disconnected from or numbed out to. So if we're already disconnected or numbed out from it, we're less likely to see it when we're analyzing our own dreams. So it's really helpful to have someone there who is unbiased to help guide you through the conversation. Hmm. Very cool. Makes sense. Okay, let's turn this into sexuality now. And what about people who say, I never dream about sex? I mean, it's really common. And there's a couple different, you know, potential reasons. Um, part thing, you know, one potential reason Sometimes uh, we think that we don't dream about something or we don't dream at all, but that might not necessarily be true. We are almost always dreaming. Um, majority of dreams happen during REM sleep, but what's really happening is we don't remember it when we wake up. 
So if someone is never dreaming about sex, if that's what they're saying, what might be a more accurate statement is, if I'm dreaming about sex, I don't ever remember those dreams. Is there a significance to that? Potentially. I think um, oftentimes if we're not remembering a dream, it's because maybe what was happening in the dream was too uncomfortable or stressful or painful and our conscious brain was doing its job and like, nah, we don't need to hold on to this. Are people who, like myself, super horny, are we inclined to dream more about sex? Because I, I don't think I dream about sex. I mean, I wake up with a hard cock every morning. I go to sleep with a hard cock every night. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. super sexual during the day. Carol says I talk and think about sex all the time, but I don't mm -hmm. have wet dreams or, or erotic dreams that wake me up in the middle of the night. But you don't dream a whole lot. Well, you don't remember a whole lot of your dreams, so I don't know. But I don't remember a whole lot, period. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that too. <laughs> that too. I mean, that's a great question. And I think that's all really relevant. There's a chance potentially that you're not remembering the dreams. But also, when we dream about sex, it's rarely actually about sex. The stuff that's happening in the dream is really less about penises and vaginas and orgasms and very much about our relationship to desire and joy and freedom sometimes exposure and shame. So dreaming about sex does not directly correlate with how sexual a person is or is not. Um, and for those of us who have a relationship to sex that might be a little bit less tumultuous, maybe we are able to express our sexuality without much shame or any shame at all, or we're in a relationship with ourselves or with someone else that really fosters clear sexual expression, that just may not be a thing that our subconscious is going to utilize to send us messages because there isn't much of a disconnect or as much of a you know, numbing out with regard to sexuality as maybe something having to do with fear or finances or trauma of some kind. So when you do your dream work with your clients, does it very often turn out that it's because of a sexual issue or is that a rare thing? It really runs the gamut. I wouldn't say it's common or rare. I would say dreaming about sex in general is incredibly common and tends to be, for a lot of clients, the most uncomfortable kind of dream to talk about because it's so, a dream, talking about dreams with someone is intimate regardless, but then if it's a dream about some kind of sexual experience that you're having, uh, especially if it's with a person or an object or in a place that feels taboo to you, it can be just hard in general to have those kinds of conversations. Um, but when we are working through a dream and it has something to do with shame or desire, doing or saying what you want because it's how you feel, that can always be applied to our relationship to sex because sex is such an intimate and connected thing for many of us. So it really, it kind of depends on, on the person and what they're you know currently experiencing in their, their waking life. But I would say, regardless, dreaming about sex or not dreaming about sex, like there is no normal or abnormal. It's all, if your dream is happening, if it's in your dream or if it's not in your dream, it's supposed to be that way. So there's no reason to sort of read into it or get too worried about it. So when your client comes to you and talks to you about maybe a disturbing dream they've had, which has a sexual connotation, and you work through it with them and you go through the whole whatever your uh, process is, does that mm -hmm. person get enlightened by that perhaps it has nothing to do with sex or sexuality? It might have something to do with a completely different topic. Is that possible? Oh, it happens almost every time. People come in with sex dreams and they are terrified that it's a dream that's telling them a deep, dark secret about themselves 
or something that they didn't want to know uh, or something that, you know, is, is hidden deep inside that now they dreamed about and they have to like recognize it and admit to it uh, or that's telling the future. A lot of people are terrified about that. So when we talk about the dream, um, one of the first things I do is make sure that there's clarification about what dreams do and don't mean, uh, especially sex dreams. And I even have a workshop about that um, because it's so they're so commonly misunderstood and there's so much fear and shame about them. So once we work through it and they get to see how that dream actually can be applied to their waking life, it's almost like they're you know they've taken off a big weight from their shoulders and they're much more easier, uh, much more capable of like smiling. There's a sense of relief and joy um, to have been supported um, through the conversation and to have been given um, a much different, much more supported and a much less judgmental perspective on the dream. No, that sounds great. Now, I know that for a fact, when I have a dream about sex, it's rarely having sex with David. It's almost always that I'm having sex with a past lover or an employer Mm -hmm. or even someone I've never even had sex with before, but someone that I might know. I don't know if that has any connotation. I don't think I felt shame or that if I worked with you, you might find that I did, but I'm not really sure if that's the cause of me having those kinds of dreams. Yeah, those are so common. Dreaming about exes or dreaming about someone like an authority figure in our lives or or someone that maybe in our waking life we would never even touch with a 10-foot pole. All of that is so common. And the main takeaway is the the dreams are not literal and they're not logical. So there's no point in even trying to view them from a literal or logical standpoint. So the dream is not telling you, hey, you know, leave your lover and go find this old guy from 10 years ago because he's your soulmate. (laughs) You know, like none of that's true. Um, usually you really think about how did you feel with that lover in the dream specifically? What emotions were coming up? How did you feel about that past lover? Did you have a, a good experience? Was there anything that you admired about the person or something that you judged about the person? And really seeing it from kind of like a more macro lens and less of a literal micro lens. And then you get to sort of see, okay, is there, are there attributes of this person that I'm having sex with in this dream that maybe I could form a stronger relationship within, with myself in my waking life? Mm-hmm. So like if you were having mind-blowing sex with someone from college and you remember you just felt like you were dancing on air whenever you were with that person and you had so much fun and it was like this carefree joy then you could potentially consider, okay, what is my current relationship to that feeling? And do I need more of it? Could there be places I could have more of it? And applying it that way. And, and then you can see what you know behavioral or schedule changes you can make to try to feel, um, or to try to make it easier to feel those feelings. So I guess it's like a guide to where I need to go next kind of thing. Yeah, it's, I think I love the idea of guide because I kind of, I see myself as, when I'm doing dream work with a client, I'm just a guide kind of holding their hand, going through the dream with them. I'm not figuring them out. I'm not analyzing. And I'm, I certainly don't necessarily know something about them that they don't know. So it's very much this a, a thought of like, this is just support. It's guidance. It's there for me. And I can take it or leave it. 
you know, there's no obligation even after you do a dream work session. No, absolutely. But one of the things that I used to always think when I dreamt about sex, and especially when it wasn't with David, and we are swingers, and we're used to having sex with other people. But I was always wondering if perhaps there's a, a relationship between dreaming about sex and fantasizing and, and like fulfilling a fantasy of some sort, a sexual fantasy. I mean. yeah, it's possible. I think what's important is when we dream about sex, we're not making a conscious choice about what we're going to dream. It's really um, our, you know, our subconscious is sort of like, I don't know, the director of a, of a play where it's like, all right, we got to, we got to tell a story in the next, you know, six hours. What set do we have? What characters do we have to choose from? And they're really just using set settings and scenes and situations to try to help give you some kind of information about yourself that is meant to be helpful. Whereas when we're fantasizing about sex, those are, of course, conscious choices. And we are really consciously analyzing and thinking about situations that would turn us on. And I would say there's definitely a possibility that if there are certain situations and scenarios that you consciously fantasize about that bring you a ton of joy and like tons of arousal and like really just feeling super good, then if your dream that night is meant to tell you about accessing that kind of joy or freedom or connection, then there's a great chance your subconscious will, will utilize elements of that fantasy. But there's no guarantee. So I'm just taking away from this that just because I visualize something in my dream, it's really more important to figure out what feeling I had, not not the oh, yeah. not the vision, but what what you're feeling during that scene that you're saying. And that when you wake up in the morning and you remember your dream, you should think right away, well, what was I feeling in that scene more than what was the yeah. scene all about? Yes, I think that's a beautiful way to sort of summarize all the things I've said, because I know I've said a lot. Um, it's really dreams. My mentor likes to say that dreams are 100% feelings. That's really all they are. And if we try to make it any more than that, then we're missing the point. Wow. And so if we really want to either remember our dreams more and try to exercise that muscle, when we wake up and we can remember even a little bit of a dream, or maybe we can remember the feeling behind it, but we can't really remember the dream, write it down on a notepad or put it in your phone or email it to yourself as soon as you can, because that not only will start you sort of like accidentally dream journaling, but it'll also signal to your brain that you are ready to really pull something from what you dream at night. And so you might actually find that the more you write down your dreams, the more vivid your dreams will be, the more able you will be to like remember them as soon as you wake up and they can really become a valuable tool. Well, I think that's great. I actually remember a lot of my dreams and I do share them with David in the morning. He thinks I'm just the weirdest person alive when I tell him what I dreamt about. (laughs) But now what I'm going to do is consciously try to remember how I felt in that dream and not necessarily what happened. And I'm going to share that with David in the morning and we'll see what see what that brings. I don't even know. But I'm I'm excited about that because I often remember my dreams. And a funny thing is, I often have the same dream. And I say, I know this dream. I know how it ends. I've had this dream before. And in my dream, I know it's a, a repeat dream. And that's kind of a weird thing. But I, you know, I, and I often remember it. So yeah, I'll, I'm going to try that right away. Oh. As soon as I wake up, think about how am I feeling and share that with David instead. Yeah. So that's very cool. Totally. I'm totally intrigued with that. dreams. Yeah, that's great. It's I, a really good way to connect with a partner too. sharing your dreams, even without the emotional part is, is so lovely because it's so connecting. 
Yeah, well, even when they're weird, like I know the pink elephant is nothing compared to some of the weird things I dream about. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I guess this is a good place to us to take a break. And we've been having a great eye-opening discussion about dreams and dream work. It's totally fascinating to me. And just remind you that we're chatting with Ann Hodder Ship, a sex educator, coach, and healer. And when we come back, we're going to be getting into our new segment called Five Things You Should Know, all about dating and relationships. This is A Sexy Lifestyle with Carolyn David, and we'll be right back. Your sex energy is your life energy. That's a central focus of The Conscious Living Show with Dr. Nancy Sutton-Pierce and her husband, Dr. Mark Pierce. The health of your sexual life is a parameter for your physical, mental, and intimate relationship health. If something is out of whack, by listening, you may be able to identify the problem and fix it. And it's not always about the sex. Tune in to The Conscious Living Show, broadcasting live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. Are listening to the sexy lifestyle with carol and david got a burning question or comment about today's show send an email to ask at carolandavid.com and we just might be answering your question next now back to this week's show this is the sexy lifestyle and we are carol and david having a great discussion with sex educator coach and healer and hotter ship now we're going to get into our segment Five things you should know with today's topic being one of the most asked questions we always get all about sex and relationships. And when it comes to sex and sexuality and relationships, there's so much to learn. Most of us don't know what we don't know. And that's why we invite our sexpert guests to enlighten us about the topics that are dear to their hearts so that we can learn and grow and strive for better understanding of sex and sexuality and all the pleasure that goes with it. So let's get started and why don't you tell us something interesting about boring sex routines? Well, the first thing that came to mind when I heard uh, this particular topic was just uh, like boring sex routines are normal and happen to everyone, even like the sexiest, hottest, hottest, kinkiest people. Um, Because as soon as something becomes a routine, you know, routine tends to be repetitive, which tends to then bring a sense of boredom once you can sort of expect what to happen next. So, um, I like to say they're not only normal, but they're also incredibly impermanent. So you can even, you can break up a boring routine by shifting even the tiniest thing so that it's a little bit different and a little bit unexpected. And then you'll find that sense of boredom might not alleviate 100%, but it'll certainly alleviate enough to feel like you're not stuck in some kind of a rut. Well, as swingers, we just go out and find a couple or two couples to fuck, to have great sex with. But for couples (laughs) or people who aren't in the alternative lifestyle, um, Mm -hmm. you know, just, uh, I guess, having sex in a different room, uh, going out, buying something sexy that you haven't worn before, guys or girls. Just um, talking about a new fantasy. Watching some porn together. Because porn is not education, but it's great entertainment. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So perhaps, totally, or even having sex at a different time of day. Yeah, absolutely. What about something interesting about sharing fantasies? Well, I like to say sharing fantasies can be the most uh, how do I, like powerful aphrodisiac. Not only are you literally telling someone else what turns you on and makes you come super fast, for instance, you're also starting a conversation that acts as an intimacy building bridge 
and you don't even have to try. And so you're not only like boosting your level of arousal and horniness with this person, but you are inadvertently connecting with this person in a way that might make you feel safer and the safe, like more emotionally safe you feel, the easier it is to sink into the sexual experience and let whatever pleasure wash over you because you're, now your brain doesn't have to worry about anything okay. and it gets to just see. My turn to go sideways here for a second. Okay. And yeah. you, you just brought up an amazing point where talking about fantasies is about, I guess, pushing those boundaries on communication where a lot of couples don't feel comfortable going. How do couples mm -hmm. actually get into that place where they, they they have this fantasy, but they don't know how to talk about it? That's a great question. And it's, it is so common. I mean, the reason why we don't share fantasies is fear, fear of judgment or fear of rejection, um, or maybe something even more than that. Uh, but those types of emotions can't actually kill us or cause us physical harm. But the impact of those emotions are so powerful our brains and bodies react to that as though we are in physical danger. And so, you know, there is a very common, very um, sort of ancestral reason why it's terrifying to open up to that level with someone else. But if both partners are on the same page and you're like, all right, fuck it, I'm scared to do this. You are scared to do this. I'm afraid you're gonna judge me. You're afraid I'm gonna judge you. Great, we're on the same page now then. Yeah. And let's make a commitment that if we do judge the other person, we're going to call ourselves out for it. We're not going to just share it and react from judgment. And we are going to treat the other person with the same level of compassion and care and love and respect that we want our partner to, sh to show us. And then once you sort of like lay that, that groundwork, those sort of like pre-said group agreement type contract, then you now get to focus just on the difficulty of communicating the fantasy instead of communicating it while also managing fear and uncertainty. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is that the more we talk about sex, the more it's comfortable to talk about sex. So normalizing totally. a conversation about sex is an easy way by describing your fantasy. And you're sharing something that might, it's a little bit abstract because it's still a fantasy. So it's great practice to be talking about a fantasy if you want to expand your dialogue, if you want to get more confident and comfortable talking about sexuality in general. So sharing fantasies has a very big multiple benefit in all different aspects. Huge, huge. Yeah. Opening up those. Those, okay. those lines of communication uh, are just so important. Okay, here's another yeah. one. How about the topic of orgasms? I love orgasms. So do I. Our I have never met someone who <laughs> doesn't love or at least appreciate them. They exactly. are pretty great. Um, they're hard to hate. Uh, I like to say um, I, don't, I don't think that there is such thing as an orgasm hierarchy. So I know that there's a lot of talk about how do you have this kind of orgasm or that kind of orgasm and what happens if your orgasm sucks and how do I make sure I'm having the best orgasm possible and I like to just say orgasms are fucking great no matter what. There is no such thing as a bad one or a not great one and if anything an orgasm might feel more powerful but that might not necessarily be solely because you are doing something to yourself or someone else is doing something to you that is exactly perfect. It has a lot to do with where your head is at, the place you're in emotionally, the place you're in physically. So all of that impacts how you experience the orgasm. Um, but I like to just sort of take some of the pressure off about trying to figure out like what kind did I have and was it a seven or was it a 10 or was it a two? 
Because that just like takes all the fun out of the fact that it's a goddamn orgasm. And there are definitely people out there who struggle to experience them. And so if you are having them, really thank yourself for that and appreciate that fact. And May is coming up and May is Masturbation Month. And let's take a second to talk about how important self-pleasuring is related to having those orgasms, which are really good for the body, the mind and the soul to, you know, get those endorphins uh, endorphins going. (laughs) (laughs) He loves calling them endorphins and now he's saying them on air. (laughs) It is amazing. I think that, yeah, it absolutely is. It's so important. Partly because how are you going to tell someone else what you like if you don't really know what you like yourself? Absolutely. That's the best way. Wow. So yes, we have to appreciate every single orgasm we have. And you know, one of our rules is that we don't count because you know, sometimes uh, some days we have one or two and some days there's 10 or 11. So we just don't count. (laughs) You got 10 or 11 orgasms? You know, I have. I ain't an orgy, you know, other guys, I get tired after a while. (laughs) So we're not built to just have orgasm after orgasm either. Like we get dehydrated, right? Like our bodies can just sort of Pleasure can now feel like pain because there's been so much stimulation. So I love that. Like, don't keep count. Just let them happen when they happen. Exactly. And and Carol's a big squirter, too. So yeah, you're right. She does get dehydrated after she has a couple of (laughs) orgasms, a couple of squirts. We have a friend who brings G2 to our our parties because she has to rehydrate so much. Yeah, absolutely. Smart. So so much fun. (laughs) So do you have a tip and a trick or maybe a fun fact about the vulva? Hmm. I... I just like the minute I think of the vulva, I always like to say like no two vulvas are exactly put together the same. They're all so different. They're all so similar to like when you look at flowers and it's just if we can move from worrying about whether ours is normal or if our partner is thinking that our vulva might look strange and instead just appreciate that the vulva that I have was literally put together in this way for me and no one else. And how fucking cool is that? This is like my exclusive VIP body part. And I want to connect with it on a more, you know, just a kinder, more compassionate, like friendlier level. I want to be BFFs with my vulva more so than uncomfortable or unsure about it. So um, just normalizing that there is no such thing as like a perfect or a normal vulva. And I love women who know their vulva, their clit, their vagina, all their important parts, because, you know, being a swinger, we we play with other people and we might play with them once and then never again. But for a woman to know her body and then to tell me what she likes makes the whole sexual experience so much more fun and enjoyable rather than going onto the wrong spot, staying there for 45 minutes. And it's like getting the worst massage in the world. Totally. I mean, it, it really, once we get to know our bodies in that way and we, and we can get to a place where it feels more comfortable to communicate what we like, then inevitably sex gets so much better. Um, it is not always easy for, for some people to get to that point, but it is a worthy goal to at least even practice communicating likes and dislikes because you're so right. It means that everyone wins in the end. Now, I know there's been an article that's been going around on social media, and it's about some um, survey that they did in the UK that the the, the result was they're saying that lesbians have better sex than, than heteros, and that's because yeah. women know the other woman's body better. But I have to dispute the fact that when you know your own body and you're comfortable communicating it, it doesn't matter if your partner's male or female, that it's it's not necessarily the fact that you're a lesbian, it's the fact that 
you just know your own body and that you're able to communicate what you like. And maybe you feel more comfortable saying that to another woman. But it's still the fact that, you know, if you can say that to your partner who's male also, you could still have amazing sex. So I just want to advocate, talk about it, tell people what you like, whether they're male or female. I don't think lesbians are having better sex than heteros for any other reason that they're just more comfortable talking about it perhaps to another woman. It's probably that. And I do think that in heterosexual couplings, there is this sort of patriarchal rooted pressure for the person with the penis to sort of like know exactly what to do and be a stallion and do all the good things with the pounding penis. And, and then on, you know, the vulva side, there is this pressure to be a freak in the sheets, but also not too freaky. And so if you communicate too much, then you're worried about that and blah, blah, blah. So there's a, I think there is some gender stereotyping that can get in the way of having more satisfying sex. Um, but you're so right about communicating. If you get to a place where you know your body and you can communicate it and, and you're with a partner of any gender who can receive that feedback right. without personalizing it or making it a big issue then yes, you're going to have great sex. And especially if that partner's goal is to pleasure you, whether male or female, if that's their goal to give you as much pleasure as possible, which is the kind of partner you're looking for in life anyways. So when you do find that right partner and you are able to communicate what you know about your own body, then you're going to have amazing sex, whether it's hetero or lesbian, just so everybody out there knows that, oh no, I'm not going to have great sex because I'm not a lesbian. Believe me, there's lots of great ways to have great sex when you're not a lesbian. I just wanted to point that out. Yeah. So here, I guess, would be the last topic of uh, things we should know uh, about the penis. This one, your listeners might already know this, but this has kind of come up a couple of times. Um, There is no such thing as a bone in the penis. I know that we call, you know, an erection a boner, which is always so fun, but there is no such thing as a bone. And so when you hear of people breaking their penis, it's not because they've shattered a bone. It's because the the spongy tissue in the the erection, which is ultimately spongy tissue that is engorged with blood, um, is damaged by the penis getting you know wrenched in some way. But it's not snapping and it's not hanging off you know by a limb. It's it just means that it's going to get real purple and bruise really quickly and hurt a whole lot. But your penis will absolutely heal and it, it does not require a cast. <laughs> right. yeah, I guess I didn't imagine the cast coming into play, but yes, that sounds like a funny situation. But okay, yes. I get to ask the last question. Okay, go ahead. So Anne, Carol, Yeah. and you first, does size matter? No. <laughs> Carol? Oh, I would say... Be yes. honest. Yes, for me, yes. Why? Oh, I don't know why, because... Too big is not good and too small is not good. I just like that happy medium, which is probably 95% of men anyway. So, you know, I don't need giant and I don't need tiny. But for me, size does matter. And for you? Yeah, I think I used to call myself a size queen because I had been with someone with a sort of giant Sicilian penis for a while. And once I was out of that relationship and started having a lot of other experiences, I found that the the next best lover, or maybe at the time, like the best lover of my 20s was someone who had the smallest penis I had ever seen or been with. And while obviously, you know, size can affect how something feels when it's going inside of you, penis is going into a vagina is not like the only way to enjoy really amazing orgasms and amazing sex. And so I found that this person with a smaller than average penis it still felt fantastic. He knew exactly what he was doing because he got over his hang up and he was just like, this is my dick and you can take it or leave it. And as soon as you're ready, I'm going to go to town. And that confidence was so 
such a turn on and he really did know how to work with what he had. And then also we had all kinds of amazing sex that had nothing to do with his penis going inside of me or at least inside of my vagina, um, which also really matters. Absolutely. No, that's, you're absolutely, it is absolutely correct what you're saying. So there you go. We got all gamuts of it and uh, everybody's different. And so that's all good. Totally. Well, so and that was a very uplifting discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for all that amazing information. Uh, let's remind everyone to go visit thesexylifestyle.com for tons of credible information covering all topics related to sex, sexuality, and relationships. Once again, this is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David. It's time for a short break. And when we get back, we'll be talking about our favorite segment, which is Great Sex Matters. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Are you ready for your erotic journey? Join host Lexi Silver every week for SDC's Seek, Discover, Create, The Radio Show. Whether you're new at this journey or well-traveled on the sexual road, we'll help you find your way with guest experts and hot topics about sex, relationships, and your health. You can also connect with the communities of SDC.com for even more advice and discussion. Listen every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. are listening to The Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Got a burning question or comment about today's show? Send an email to ask at carolanddavid.com and we just might be answering your question next. Now back to this week's show. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David and today we're chatting with Ann Hottership, sex educator, coach and healer. And now it's time for our favorite part of the show where we get to talk about great sex because... Well, great sex matters and we all deserve it. So sexuality is one of those words that has a broad use. And I, I often feel like I don't quite understand what sexuality actually means. So before coming on the show today, because that's what we're going to be talking about in this next segment, I looked it up in the dictionary and the definition that I found gave three parts. First... The capacity for sexual feelings. Two is a person's sexual orientation or preference. And three is sexual activity. So in fact, the word sexuality is quite vague and it can be used in lots of different circumstances. Well then, let's talk about how everybody has their own definition of sexuality and our own sexual experiences and how our own sexual experiences influence our ability to connect with our partners on that super, super important intimate level and how we can learn from our experiences and have better sex. So Anne, in your coaching and yeah. healing, um, how do you work with and how do you help people who, you know, they're not they're not sure if they've ever had an orgasm? Oh, great question. Um, that does come up a lot. I tend to I, I first I love the conversation you just had about sexuality as a concept because it, it is confusing to people. And I, I do teach a sexuality 101 type of group um, that kind of just focuses on like, well, what even does that mean? Because when you start having conversations like this or teaching, a lot of the times people in the audience are like, but what, what do you even mean by sexuality? Because some people think it, it's just sexual orientation and then other people think it's something else. And then, so everyone's receiving the information through a different filter and, you know, nobody's really, everyone just ends up getting confused. So, um, so I love that. I like to think it's just, it's a state of being, it's your, it's an identity and you get to sort of shape and express it um, as, as you grow up and have experiences. 
Um, and orgasm is definitely something that people are concerned about. I would say um, for people who have vulvas and they're, they tend to be more concerned it, that they have or haven't had an orgasm, partly because there's less of a, a physical, easy-to-see response when an orgasm happens. But I'd like you to say, okay, um, first off, if you're not sure, there's a good chance you probably haven't just because it's one of those things that happens and you're like, oh, it's pretty hard to mistake what an orgasm sensation is like. But um, but despite that, I just I let people know um, if you're not sure, then the, it, the best way to facilitate having one is to start masturbating a little bit more. And uh, sometimes I recommend tools or um, accessories to use to try to help orgasms come a little bit easier, you know, pun intended, of course. And uh, I, I help them get into their bodies a little bit more so that they are more conscious of the physical sensations that are going on when they are experiencing some, some kind of pleasure. So I, I make sure that they recognize, you know, where is their muscle tension? What temperature does my face feel? What temperature does my body or my vulva feel? Um, and to get them more familiar with the physical sensation of an orgasm more so than like the, the medical definition of an orgasm. Well, and think, that tends to give them a little bit more clarity about whether or not they've experienced one. Yeah, and I think it's, I mean, I don't know if it's common or not common, and I don't really care, but I know that my experience when I lost my virginity at 15, and I, we don't even want to go into the virginity situation, so I'm just going to say I had sex intercourse for the first time at 15 years old, um, and I had I was quite a sexual person, but I did not masturbate, and I actually did not have my first orgasm until I was 22 years old. So I had been having mm. sex for seven years, and it was pleasurable. It's not like I wasn't enjoying it. In fact, I did enjoy it very much but when I had my first orgasm I went holy shit that's what it's all about wow yeah. and you know from then on I knew exactly what an orgasm was but I hadn't even thought about whether I had had an orgasm or not before that yeah I think that's that's relatively common a lot of people who have their first intercourse experience don't have an orgasm partly because maybe a quarter of vulva owners can actually have an orgasm from just intercourse alone and so then they've got you know 75 ish percent of us who are just sort of wondering well have I had one I don't know and usually it's a direct result of having had solely penis and vagina intercourse and there's been no other exploration and there's no other stimulation in addition to that exactly so once you yeah once you do end up having an orgasm you're like oh shit this is what it could be yeah. like all right and for me, it was a manual stimulation from the guy, which made me have the orgasm. So that's kind of when I caught on, like, okay, now mm -hmm. I get it because having sex and in intercourse is not doing it for me. So and right, right. let's talk for two seconds the pros and cons about faking orgasms. Oh, yeah, not good. Oh, gosh. I mean, <laughs> I, I, easy answer is I, I never think it's a good idea to fake anything um, if you are planning on having some kind of regular contact, sexual contact with the person because you're giving them misinformation and you are reducing the likelihood of having an ex, you know a good ex, pleasurable experience in the future because you are sort of you're not telling them what works for you you are more focused on managing their feelings or maybe trying to make the experience end a little bit faster um, I do have you know I've worked with people who fake orgasms not because they're trying to be you know liars or uh, cause any harm, but they are just genuinely really nervous and scared about 
telling their partner that they haven't had an orgasm or that they're probably not going to. And that, of course, roots back into the importance of communication and managing your own fear and shame about your own pleasure responses. Um, so I, I definitely don't recommend it. But there are definitely times where we might find ourselves in a sexual experience with someone else that we don't feel safe with, that we don't feel comfortable um, or even connected with, and we want to try to get out of there as soon as we can. And so faking an orgasm in the moment might feel like the fastest and most accessible and easiest way to get away from your partner. And, and, and so, of course, in those situations, use whatever you need to use. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to say, you know, Carol and I are in a very a strong, uh, committed relationship. We're swingers. We have a lot of sex. But it happens where we're ha- and we don't have sex every day with other people. We have intimate monogamous sex, the two of us. But it happens, you know, sometimes Carol has this brain trap traffic going on and I'm going down on her and she comes probably 95% of the time with oral stimulation, me licking her clit or a couple of fingers inside her pussy. But sometimes it just doesn't work. And when I'm down there, you know, knowing her body the way I do, I know that her head might not be in it and I'll go over and get her the best sex toy in the world, which is a womanizer and say, you know what, babe, right now, Mm -hmm. suck my cock a little bit, take the womanizer, do what you need to do. So both of us are going to have a good time and it's not me doing something that's you know just not good for her in that moment and then she might have an orgasm get all stimulated and she'll say okay now go back down there and make me come again and she's gotten into that moment so even couples who are in great relationships it happens where sometimes bringing a toy in gets that orgasm out and women should never fake it it's okay to say you know what i need a toy right now or or something else some other type of stimulation Yeah, I think that's really a great anecdote. It is common. Like sometimes we are just not quite there and we might have to work for the orgasm and it's just not going to happen. And that's fucking fine because as, you know, Carol, you said like sex without any type of sexual contact that doesn't necessarily result in an orgasm is still fucking great. It still feels good. We can be a little bit less goal oriented about saying, well, sex without an orgasm doesn't count or it's not as good or it's not good enough. All of that is our conscious you know, brain, our own judgments, like shitting on our sexual experience, you know, and giving us parameters and rules. And really, you don't need any of that to have a good time. And if it means you got to break out, like, all right, the thing you're doing right now is not going to make me come. So let's do something else. And then you do something else. And then that works for you. Like, great. But imagine if you were in a place where you felt that if you didn't come from that specific thing that was happening, then it it would be bad or wrong. And so the pressure you're putting on yourself or, or even putting on your partner, like nothing kills the mood faster than that. Yeah, absolutely. And even if you'd let your partner know that you've done a great job, it feels amazing, but my head's just not in gear to actually have an orgasm. I think that's very authentic. It's most of the time true if you're saying it, that he's not going to feel like his ego's wounded, that he's not a good lover or whatever it is. A lot of women don't want to impose that on their partner because they want to continue seeing that partner. They want that partner to love them. And so, yeah, if you say it in a very loving way, like, honey, that was amazing. It feels great, but the orgasm's just not going to come right now. And I'm okay with it. Then that's a nice way I'm going to say to let him down um, because I know guys want to please their partners and well, women want to please their partners too. But I'm just saying that's very often, I think, some reasons why women women do fake an orgasm because they don't want to hurt their ego because that is a, I'm going to say a macho thing that the guy wants her to come. 
Yeah, I think that's a really common thing. Well, you just, you know, you gave an example of what we would call like a compliment sandwich. We were like, <laughs> it feels great. I'm just not quite there, but I want to keep going. Let's do something else. And all we can control on our end is how honest and clear we are. And if we are communicating from an honest and respectful place, that's all we can control. So if our partner does take it as an ego blow, that's not because we did something wrong. It's because they haven't been able to handle their own ego and their, the pressure they're putting on themselves to perform instead of be connected with their partner. Yeah. So if we, all we can do is control the way we communicate. And then ideally we're with a partner who can receive that in a way that doesn't end up creating harm. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you coach somebody who thinks they're not good enough in bed? I get, I first, I, I get them to try to define, well, what is good enough for you? What is your concept of great and good? And really getting clear on that and then starting to break down, well, how did you get to that definition? Where did you learn that? Uh, and more often than not, what people think is great sex or what they think they could do to be the best partner is something that is rooted in a, like what we call a social construct, like something that was created and invented by someone, but isn't actually a reasonable representation of what a good lover actually does. Like porn? Like that's why we say porn is entertainment. <laughs> yeah. But are you talking about like a social yeah. construct, like something they would see in porn? And Potentially. That, and that or, because they know, can't do it, they feel like, inadequate? Yeah, I think that some people, they view porn partly because they don't know where else to go. And they think, well, this is how sex should be. So if I'm not able to, you know, ram this person at 40 miles an hour <laughs> and then flip them around like an acrobat, then I must not be at my peak. And it's just like... Just like if you're watching a Kung Fu movie, you, you don't watch Kung Fu to learn martial arts. You want it to have fun and be entertained. And so, yeah, if people's idea of how they should be is based off of something that's literally fiction, then that's something to dismantle. But there's definitely this idea um, you know, rooted in our, in our culture about how men are supposed to be in the bedroom and what male sexuality should and should not look like. And those are social constructs. They're not supported by medical science. They're just created by, um, you know, value systems. And value systems are essentially, you know, personal truths and opinions. They're not necessarily provable by science. So if someone is saying to themselves, all right, I identify as male, and male sexuality means I have a high sex drive, I want it all the time, I'm never tired, I don't say no because why should I? and I'm supposed to go after it and take it, then that's going to directly affect the way they engage in sex and relationships in their lives. Um, and they might not actually know that everything they've learned about how they quote unquote should act is based on a, a bunch of bullshit that actually could be creating a ton of harm for themselves and others. So instead we start dismantling like all, we might you know, root out all the weeds, you know, yank out all the shitty stuff that actually isn't really serving anyone positively. And instead we start discussing, well, what do you actually like? Like, how do you want to be? What feels natural to you versus what feels performative to you? And then they get to completely relay a foundation using tools and materials that better suit them rather than the person that they think they should be. 
Yeah, and it's kind of hard because there's not a textbook out there that we've learned at 14, 15, 16, whenever it is that we, we are now learning about our sexuality. There's not a textbook that says this is how it should be for everyone. And so it's really a lot of hearsay and the watching of porn that has established these social constructs, as you, as you call them. And so you're right, they could be coming from anywhere and they could be very harmful because maybe just one person said one thing and that's what you're holding on to. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I get it. So when you break that down, lose all those things, rebuild everything, and then they can move forward with what feels more natural to them, and they can be comfortable and positive that they're doing the best they can or the, what's good for them. Yeah, because really, you know, if if you're coming from a place of honesty and respect and compassion for yourself and your partner and you're willing to listen and willing to communicate and you're willing to just do your best in the moment, then you're a fantastic lover and there is nothing more you can do. And the other thing is remembering that we are learning every day. Like David and I are still learning every single day about our bodies, about what we like, about what we can do, what we can't do. And so as long as you keep that open mind that it's an evolving thing, it's not something that happens and you're a bad lover and that's it, you're you're over. Yeah, and you're like a Gemini, so you have like so many personalities. I'm learning about you like every three or four hours. <laughs> so much so much changes as we age as well. So it's it's great. Oh, and really? Yeah. So just remember that even if you don't feel like you're a good lover, there's always ways of learning. It's never too late. Um, just find some sources to relearn everything. And and if you think you're not doing the right thing, it's okay to ask the person, does this feel good? Right. Do you like this? Right. Would I would you like me to do something else? Those are those those important words to use when you're with a partner. Oh, definitely. Partly because that also is how we can confirm consent throughout the whole experience. Yes, which we know is super, super important that we are still uh, having fun and that we are still on the same page. And this is still going wonderfully for both of us. And sure, that consent has to be throughout the whole session. In the swinging world, that's what we do constantly. Dave and I are always checking in with each other if we're still having fun with the partners that we've selected, if we're still enjoying the moment. But you could never have a great orgy if you weren't asking the other people in the orgy what they like or they're asking you what you like because everybody's different. So this whole realm of consent which is in the news these days which is great that it's in the news is kind of the lifestyle that we have since we've been swingers for the last almost 12 13 years that this is the way it is in the swinging world already you know so we're kind of used to this consensual type situation and your partner's always looking out for you making sure that you're doing the right thing and that you're still feeling great about your choice that you made and and that the situation is still comfortable and that you're still rocking it if you want to call it that so it's it's great that now um, the vanilla world is talking about consent which is super 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 important for sure so now if someone meets mr right but they're terrified that they're going to screw it up just like every other relationship ended badly and they come to you what what exactly how do you help them or coach them into getting into the right headspace well first thing i would say is there's a really good chance their partner is feeling the exact same way and that helps sort of dismantle some of the intensity behind the fear um, and then the next thing is really just I mean it's kind of twofold first thing is I work with them to, to better understand well, what are they afraid of what does it mean to screw it up like let's get specific about with what behaviors really have gotten in the way in the past and then we get to then try to identify patterns and then figure out where can we break those patterns slowly by choosing something different so if we, if we realize that like jealousy is an issue and we have found that uh, 
when we feel jealousy, the way that we have handled it in the past is to make it our partner's responsibility and accuse them of things. And then the relationship has ended. Then we know, okay, so the jealousy is probably going to keep happening because that's a feeling. And so now what we can control is how we deal with jealousy. And we start to identify some more useful tools. Um, and one of those tools tends to be communicating with your partner about your feelings, not so that they do something about it, but to just let them know what's going on with you. Because it'll give them perspective and you will in turn, just like sharing fantasies, you start creating an intimate bond and a sense of emotional safety that you might not have had before. And there's a good chance that that sense of emotional safety will help you shift from those harmful patterns in the past. And it might make it easier to deal with some of your shit when you have this sort of emotional safety foundation that you're standing on. And certainly when you've uh, had bad relationships in the past and you kind of are just saying, well, here's another guy, it's uh, gonna turn out bad again, just like it always does. Well, that is like mm -hmm. a self-fulfilling prophecy and you're just expecting it all to go to shit instead of being proactive and putting out into the universe that it's a positive thing and you're feeling great about this is this is the real deal, this I'm gonna work at. And even having a great attitude and going into it and being open, I guess, being open and honest about what are you fearing and and why, you know, you might be afraid that this is going to end badly uh, right from the beginning so that you are doing the right things and not just letting uh, chaos take over. Yeah, I think it's really, really helpful being aware of how our own negative self-talk can actually help steer us into the very place we don't want to be. Um, and really being able to recognize what our own roles have been in the destruction of past relationships. Because if, if I hear someone say, all my exes are crazy, I immediately know, no, they're not. <laughs> yeah, they're, exactly. That, it's a, that is the signal that this person is completely unaware of their own contribution to the demise of relationships. And so we're going to have to redirect the conversation onto them instead of all their partners. It's, it's never 100% someone else's fault that a relationship ends. There's always something, and it's not about fault, it's really about what is the contribution? How did my own trauma cycles and my own patterns contribute to the outcome? And then how did theirs contribute to the outcome? And then how, like where did they overlap? And where did we both, sort of where did our trauma join forces to help this relationship explode? And, and would, once we get clarity on that, it, it can really be helpful to do it differently. Yeah, absolutely. And I would hope that if they're already coming to you, they kind of know whether they want to admit it openly at the beginning, they kind of know in the back of their minds that there is something they can do to prevent this from the same type of bad ending as all the other relationships, because that's why they're coming to you in the first place, because they kind of know they're you can work on these things. You can work on your own behaviors. You can work on your own expectations and, um, and, and meet somebody halfway and not expect everything to be on their side. And so hopefully mm -hmm. that's the attitude they have when they come to see you. And then they have to work through the program to find a way to be present and do the right things each time, each decision they make. Yeah, totally. So I think it's time for some real advice that we can leave our audience with today. Some more real advice. Some more real advice. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. How about what do you suggest someone could do tonight to start feeling better about themselves so that they can move forward their relationship in a positive way and, and experience some more great sex? 
Ooh, great question. I would say the the thing you could do tonight or even right now is write a gratitude list. Mm. You can put it in your phone. You can email it to yourself or to a friend. Um, write down five things right now that you are grateful for about yourself. Then five things that you are grateful for about your life in general. And if you are in a partnership or in a relationship, then I would then uh, write down five things that you're grateful for in your relationship or about your partner. And when you do this, the exercise of doing this gratefulness list, this gratitude list, is uh, what does it do in your brain? Oh, well, first thing, it gets you out of whatever headspace you were in in the moment, which may have been, God, nothing goes right, or God, my partner didn't fucking fold the laundry again what the fuck you know and then you you get a bit of a reality check where it's like oh shit look at all this amazing stuff that's in my life and it actually helps trigger um a dopamine response it makes you feel pleasure to recognize the things in your life that you feel really grateful for and that feeling of gratitude if you really think about like what does gratitude feel like physically when you experience it it's a really powerful like love response. It's really similar to feeling genuine, unconditional love. And so writing it down helps sort of trigger that same response and gets you in a much more, you know, constructive, loving headspace. And even when you love yourself, you love your situation, you love your partner, you love your life, uh, that pushes away a lot of the negative feelings, which is pulling you down. So you can start feeling better about yourself, like almost immediately when you do this exercise. Oh, yeah, it's pretty fast. And it's really good if you're experiencing resentment, um, which I have a very strong relationship to resentment in general, especially for myself switching, shifting out of that resentment place can make it a lot easier to then access um, forgiveness, most importantly, forgiveness for yourself. Um, so if, you know, if I feel like I screwed up a bunch of things this week, or I'm not, you know, sticking to my health routine or whatever, but then I do a gratitude list about how, you know, my, my body lets me you know, I, I get straight eight hours of sleep and I, you know, might wake up rested or I'm able to go for a run or, you know, I really, I love, um, I'm grateful for the sun on my skin. Any of those little things helps you shift out of the criticism and judgment place and resentment place. And it really does have, you know, it's like a nice fact, fast acting, quick fix exercise. And I just want to end this wonderful discussion on the note that self-love is not selfish, that we all need to love ourselves. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Wow. I'm just sitting here in awe with um, what an amazing ending to a tremendous show. And and um, I think we're going to have to have you back in a couple of months to talk about a couple of other the other the other amazing subjects that you talk about. You can tell everyone how to get to your website and how to reach out to you. Yeah, sure. Um, AnnHodder.com, and that's H-O-D-D-E-R. That's my private practice, and you can see my DreamWorks services and the coaching services. Um, if you go to HotterMedia.com, that's the sex-positive PR and marketing firm I run. And then the newer project is EveryoneDeservesSexEd.com, and that's where I offer more instructional workshops and sex ed sessions with parents and teenagers. Well, thanks. Thanks for all of that. And, you know, we're learning more and more every week with all our fantastic sexpert guests. And we hope you do too. So remember to go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com to find credible information about sex and sexuality and relationships, of course. 
Boy, we had a lot of credible information today. I'm going to listen to this show like five more times to, to just learn. Wow, Anne, you are just so amazing. So oh, don't... that's so nice. Well, thank you for having me on the show. Such good questions, too. Our pleasure. And uh, let's remind everybody to tune in to the Sexy Lifestyle Network for 24-7 Talk Radio with 25 other hosts all talking about sex and sexuality and relationships. That's the Sexy Lifestyle Network.com. Com. And remember to sign up on sdc.com if you're looking for an open-minded online community to meet other sexy people, find out where the events are happening near you, uh, use promo code 30314 for the first month free. You can check it out. And once again, let's remind everybody about Nadia and Orleans. We're going to be there July 24th to 28th, 2019. Nadia and Orleans is the largest lifestyle convention for couples in the world. With over 1,300 couples, this event is a full takeover of two of the French Quarter's biggest hotels. And we take over Bourbon Street as well. So for more information about this trip and anything else, visit our website, thesexylifestyle.com, or send us an email at ask at carolandavid.com. Well, that was another amazing show. Let's thank once again Anne Hottership. Thank you. And especially everybody out there for listening. And join us again next time for another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex and sexuality and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny. Stay sexy, everyone. Until next time. Hey, sexy people. If you're ready to start your sexual evolution, we've got some amazing prizes to give away. Some of the great prizes include Womanizer, the most advanced pleasure product for stronger, longer, and more intense orgasms. SDC.com is giving away a lifetime membership to the sexiest online community of open-minded people. Touch from experience, warm. It warms your personal lube, then automatically dispenses it with a wave of your hand. And we can't forget, Throws of Passion Waterproof Pleasure Blanket. Keep your bed dry no matter how wet it gets. For your chance to win one of these amazing prizes, simply send us an email at info at thesexylifestyle.com with the word contest in the subject line. Your name will be entered into the weekly drawing and remember to visit our website regularly for a list of the winners and more information about all the amazing prizes and sponsors. Go to thesexylifestyle.com contest page and enter as often as you like. Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. When the lights are off, that's no reason not to light things up. Lube Light lets you pop its cap for instant illumination so your lube gets applied to all the sweet spots and never the awkward ones. No more slippery midsection, unless you're into that. You can keep it turned on while you're getting down with your partner. Our ambient lighting is soft enough to never blind while you're doing the grind. No matter what lube gets you vibing, it's compatible with Lube Light. Easier to turn on than your last partner, guaranteed. Get yours today at lubelights.com. Also available on Amazon and SheVibe. 
Mystery Vibe is where the best of humanity and technology combust into your pleasure. Personalized, the world's first body-adapting vibrator. Crescendo adapts, bends, wraps, and vibrates in your every curve and crevice. Use solo, duo, trio, or more. And with an app control that commands your pleasure across 12 presets. Oh, and you can even make your own vibration. Crescendo is adored by all, from feminists to Forbes. Go to mysteryvibe.com now for your pleasure. Personalized. Maximize your orgasms and just let go. The Throes of Passion Waterproof Pleasure Blanket guarantees to keep your sheets dry no matter how wet it gets. From massage oils to lubes and beyond, we've got your bed covered. So just throw it down and get it on and get lost in your very own Throes of Passion. Then toss it aside and bask in the afterglow of great sex in warm, dry sheets. The all-new Naked Fleece provides a soft and sexy playscape, while the stay-dry barrier protects your bed, your couch, and even your carpet. It's machine washable, large enough to cover a king-size bed, and light enough to travel discreetly. To get your own Throes of Passion waterproof pleasure blanket, visit thesexylifestyle.com and order yours today. That's thesexylifestyle.com. Great sex starts now.